Welcome to Where Are A Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with NYU alum who served in the role of RA or grad student and listening to their journey of life after graduating from New York University. My name is Laura, and I'm tonight's co-host, a junior from Miami, Florida, studying journalism and cinema studies, and an RA in Gramercy Green. And I'm Tom Ellett, the other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate VP of Student Affairs. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. A journalism major. So is it in front of the mic? Is it writing script? I mean, what is it that you're looking to do? Well, I think right now I'm actually going down the print track, but I actually do dabble in audio editing. So I recently took a podcast class. So I was really interested by this project. So tell me what makes a good podcast. Ooh, well, from what my radio professor taught me, you have to sound very natural, kind of want to feel like you're speaking directly to the listener while talking to thousands of people at the same time. That's kind of the most fascinating thing to me about it. And podcasts are pretty popular right now among your generation. Yes, they are. Are there certain podcasts that you listen to that you enjoy? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I actually have one of my favorite podcasts is a podcast where they just cover different topics. It's called Stuff You Should Know. So every episode, it's kind of just like a random piece of historical information or they'll explain to you how different things worked, like certain historical battle or anything from like power plants to whatever crosses your mind and they just kind of go really in depth into the topic. Sounds really cool. Mm -hmm. And you're also thinking about a potential career in higher education. Yes, I am. What made you want to think about this path? So everyone I've talked to about it tells me that no one goes to college thinking they're going to go into higher ed. That's true. (laughs) And that was my case as well. I came to NYU thinking I wanted to be a journalist and still loving it because it's a career where you get to learn so many different things like all the time but I quickly realized that I had a hard time seeing myself not be a student Mm. and that was because that's what I just loved doing I've been doing it for what like almost uh, 16 years I just couldn't imagine not being a student so I thought what career (laughs) would let me be a student for life and higher ed came up and it's interesting because today's guest is actually in this track of higher education. So I think we'll have some good questions for you to ask her along the way. Tell us a little bit about today's guest. Oh, well, today our guest is Marcella Runal Hall, who served as a graduate assistant for the Office of Housing and Residential Life from 1997 to 1999. She lived in Alumni Hall and Washington Square Village. She graduated from Steinhardt in 1999 with a master's degree in higher education administration. And she worked for Marijo Russell O'Grady. Welcome, Marcella, and thank you for joining us on tonight's show. It's a real pleasure having you on. How are you and where are you? I'm doing really fabulously, actually, and I am at Mount Holyoke College, which is in South Hadley, Massachusetts. Mount Holyoke is in Western Massachusetts, and it's part of five college consortium with UMass, Amherst, Amherst College, Hampshire, and Smith. And I am happily living here on campus. It's wonderful. There's nothing like it, but there's nothing like hearing your voice. One of the true NYU alums and former staff members in student affairs here. So it's a pleasure to have you uh, speaking with you, Marcella. Thank you, Tom. I'm so grateful to be able to do this. 
Well, let's jump back to your time at Washington Square. What was it like to transition to New York City as a graduate student? Oh, my goodness. Well, when I got into NYU, the day that I got the letter as a senior in in college at Ramapo College, um, I remember feeling absolute elation. It was, you know, probably one of the best days of my life. I mean, I was just so grateful, so excited. And so as I prepared to make that transition, really, for me, it was all about like dreams coming true. When I was getting into the higher ed program and choosing my classes and getting my assistantship and getting to know my peers who would be, you know, in my cohort and then eventually my lifelong colleagues and friends. I mean, all of it was just really, truly a dream. You said you, you, you applied for a master's in higher education. Did you always know you wanted to work in higher education? You know, it's really interesting. I had some mentors when I was an undergrad, and and like many people who get into student affairs, you know, I came in with a totally different idea of what I wanted to do. I started out as a business major, actually, and then I changed my major to social work. But simultaneously, as I was making the change to social work, I also had gotten hired as an RA as an undergrad, and I was involved in Student Government Association, and I was a peer facilitator for our college seminar, which is like first-year seminar program. All of those things were what sort of gave me a clue that maybe I wanted to stay in, in higher ed and to study it formally. But of course, I didn't even know that was a possibility. So, so mentors of mine, many of whom had NYU connections, including Adria Daniels-Kittles, who had gone to NYU for the higher ed program and then come to Ramapo, and other folks were really the ones who said to me, you know, you could make a career of this, and NYU would be a great place to, to get your degree and to jumpstart studying, thinking, you know, being in this world. We talked earlier about the graduate assistant role you played, but we didn't talk about what role you played as a graduate assistant in the department. What was it that you did for a residential life? Yeah, so I got hired by a person named Mary Jo Russell O'Grady, who is the Dean of Students at Pace University now. At the time, she worked in residential life. I believe she was an area coordinator. And I got hired to be her graduate assistant in the office of residential life, which meant that I got to work on graduate assistant, so GA and RA training. I got to work on GA and RA selection, as well as ongoing professional development. And I got to be the co-advisor to the Inter-Residence Hall Council. So that is why I say that was like a dream job, because I got to know really the whole enterprise in residence life and and the different buildings and the different folks who staffed them. And I got to really go all in and, and understand how residence life was working at NYU. It was such a, a large, complex place in comparison to Ramapo. So it was really great training ground for me. Thinking specifically about the RA and the GA students that you worked with, what kind of relationships did you have with the student leaders specifically? Sure. So I think the IRHC folks were the people that I got to work with the closest. And and then the different RAs that were in the buildings that supported the work of the hall councils and, and the different programs that happened I spent a lot of time, you know, in programming mode, helping support as an advisor the different kinds of programs that people were looking to do to build community. But probably one of my favorite memories of that time was that we got to do programming in the summer for students that either decided to stay for the summer or for students who were coming from other schools and wanted to be part of summer housing. And that programming is what really allowed me to get to know New York City. I remember working with students to try to identify like any, you know, free museum days or free concerts or you know, pretty much anything happening 
And you have to remember that was pre-Google. <laughs> so it actually was a pretty useful thing because there weren't apps to tell us where to go. So we were really creating these calendars and these plans and these invitations for people to explore New York City together and, and really on a budget. And so that was absolutely one of my favorite parts about working with the undergraduate students that were there at that time. So you, you finished your master's degree. Tell us a little bit about the next steps in your journey to where you are now. After that, as I was getting ready to to graduate and beginning the job search, I had a second position at NYU that I did as really like an independent study project in what was then an office called Oasis, which was the Office for African American, Latino, and Asian Student Services, later renamed the Center for Multicultural Education and Programs. But I worked there doing diversity education, And one of the things we worked on together with undergraduate students and graduate students was something called D-Day or Diversity Day. And that won a NASPA award, the first NASPA award that I received. And it was in New Orleans at the National Conference. And I got to meet Alexander Astin. And during that process, I really realized that I felt like I had more work to do at NYU. And I wasn't ready to leave. I felt like there were just so many opportunities for things that I was interested in exploring and people that I was interested in working with. And during that time, as I was getting ready to launch a big national job search, a position opened in student activities. So I actually was offered that position and I started immediately after graduation that summer in June of 1999, working with Bob Butler and the folks in student activities. And that was a coordinator position where I got to work with new club development and to build out our social justice leadership program. I got to work in close partnership with lots of different people on campus. And eventually I advised African Heritage Month and Women's History Month. And I was in that position for three years and I loved every minute of it. I learned so much and I had so many good experiences working with NYU students. It was the perfect first job for me. And it sounds like you uh, gained so many important skills relating to diversity and programming. I'm kind of curious, how did those skills carry over into your current role? And what is your current role? Sure. It's, it's such a good question. So I think as I got further along in my own process, I realized the things I was really passionate about and the things that really excited me in the context of higher ed. And certainly building community is one of them and building inclusive communities is, is at the top of that list. So while I was at NYU in that position, I had different folks, different mentors at different points that said to me, I should think about getting a PhD or going on to to a doctorate. And I had never thought about that. And I honestly didn't know anybody who had done that. I really felt like I had sort of achieved my own my own goals just by graduating college and, and then getting my master's at NYU. I felt like I had pretty much, you know, like gotten to where I thought I might get to. So that wasn't even on my radar. And one of the programs that was getting recommended to me again and again was this program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, graduate degree, doctorate in social justice education. And so in my last year, in my position in student activities, I applied for that program, I got accepted, and I ended up leaving New York and NYU. And it was very hard to leave, but I I did leave to go to UMass and, and to pursue my doctorate. And that's how I was exposed to this whole five college area, and that's how I found out about Mount Holyoke originally. 
But fast forward in that time, I ended up doing all the things that you're not supposed to do when you're getting your doctorate. I got married and I had a baby and I worked on other book projects, <laughs> all the life things, including accepting another full-time job back at NYU. And so I came back to NYU in 2007, right after I got married, to be the inaugural diversity educator in CMEP. So I say all of that to you to say that passion was ignited for me. Those skills that were developed for me in those early positions really helped shape my whole career. And ultimately, I don't think that I even expected that I would be on the track to be a dean of students or a vice president for student life as, as I am now at Mount Holyoke. I was really following my passion and interest in this idea of building inclusive communities. And what's happened is I've gotten you know, different opportunities to do that in different contexts. And this one at Mount Holyoke has been really life-changing because I'm able now to have impact on the whole campus community and all different areas beyond just community and inclusion, but also, you know, health, counseling, residential life, student programs, religious and spiritual life, and other pieces of the the portfolio around orientation and things like that. You mentioned briefly about writing a book, and I think <laughs> there's more than one, but can you tell us a little bit about how it was that you approached that whole idea of, I'm going to be an author and, and, and write something for my colleagues and others, parents and other students who <laughs> want to go to college? The interesting thing about writing for me is that I really didn't ever see myself in that world until I went to get my doctorate and I realized I was going to have to write a dissertation at some point and that, you know, this idea of, of writing something massive that, you know, would take a long time, lots of research, you know, all of that discipline was really going to be a part of my world. And as I got more confident, more opportunities to write things came along. And one of the first ones was I had the opportunity to write an article for Vibe magazine that was about hip hop and education. That was actually my first published piece. And that was in 2006. And that then opened up all these other doors. And I got asked to do a book project on hip hop and education, hip hop education guidebook with Martha Diaz, who's also an NYU alum. And we did that project in 2007, which then led to another curriculum project that I worked on that was called Conscious Women Rock the Page. That was the second project. The third project after that was another curriculum book. So all of these were about writing lesson plans and essays and putting together resources for teachers. So that third one, Love, Race, and Liberation, was really about teaching about race. And that came out in 2010. So those were the projects I worked on before my dissertation. <laughs> my dissertation was finished in 2011. Finally, in that meantime, I did other smaller chapters and, and participated in lots of passion projects. That was the one really liberating thing about not being on a tenure track. I wasn't as concerned about publications for tenure, but really publications for projects that I felt incredibly passionate about. Well, you're a skilled author, that's for sure, and, and an educator. I mean, I, you're really able to engage people in the conversation and bring them to really reflect on their own practice and how they believe or think about their beliefs and how they may want to change those beliefs. So I, I appreciate that about you, truly. Well, thank you. I was absolutely impressed to hear that you uh, wrote three books over the course of writing your dissertation. If I may, I'm, I'm just interested in how you had the discipline for that, <laughs> asking as a current student. <laughs> yeah, 
You know, the really interesting thing is I probably could have finished my dissertation a lot sooner if I hadn't done all of those projects, but all of those projects really helped to strengthen my own confidence in the work I was doing was important, you know, and, and meaningful. And so they, they really spoke to each other, the practical application of hip hop and education and teaching about race and, and social justice. And then the theoretical part of it that I was really, you know, researching and writing about for my dissertation. So in some ways doing them in that order actually kept me inspired and engaged. It all fit into the bigger picture of my work in CMAP and in my work, you know, that I was doing outside of that. And so it, it was all connected for me. I will say that one of the things I had the opportunity to, to do when I first came back to New York, before I took the job at CMAP in 2007, I worked for the New York Times Learning Network and I wrote curriculum for them that was published alongside New York Times articles. And so it was on the same schedule. It would come out the same time that the article was coming out. So it was very very much a, a journalism model. And I wrote for the science and technology part of the Times, which was completely outside of my own area of expertise. And in fact, the very first one I wrote was about cellulosic ethanol production. Right, what is that? What does that even mean? <laughs> I had to create a whole engaging curriculum lesson plan. Well, it was really quite fascinating. I can send you the links. You can see the, the way it all turned out. But it got me in the habit and the discipline of being able to write and get feedback. And it was really like training for something, you know, like it really prepared me to do the kind of writing that then came later with the curriculum books and, and with the other projects. So all of it somehow ended up really, really working together. And, and that's, I was able to keep up that pace for quite a long time. And then I had my first daughter and my priorities shifted. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> my, my free time became, became a little bit, you know, a little, a little, a little bit different, differently timed. <laughs> You know, Marcel, we work with a lot of student leaders and, and sometimes, like Laura, they think that maybe higher education is a path that I want to take. What advice would you give someone in terms of that reflective practice? What should they be thinking about? What questions should they be asking? One thing I've learned over the years is that your productivity and your inspiration are really connected to what you believe about the work and what you believe about your impact. So higher education for me was life-changing. It completely not only shifted my worldview, but it shifted my path. It shifted how I thought about myself and what was going to be possible for me. And I've seen that for the last 20 years play out with so many students, former students, current students, and peers of mine that, that really higher education was, was and is a game changer. And so I believe in the mission, right? I believe that it's important. And I believe that where you are and, and how you make that really a lifestyle, right? Like, like to me, the whole ebb and flow of, of academic spaces is my lifestyle, right? That's, you know, like I'm, I'm in it. I'm invested. I'm a part of this community here at Mount Holyoke and certainly still feel like I'm a part of the community at NYU. It's different now, but still very much a part of my identity, so I think it's thinking about what kind of life do you want and, and where do you see yourself being able to use your skills, talents, abilities in ways that are going to leave the world a little better than you found it. Do you work that feels really meaningful? And for me, that's what higher education has been. Yeah, I mean, that, that spoke so much to me. You were kind of talking about finding it personally fulfilling and 
as you were talking, I was I was thinking about the emphasis that both my parents put on on education. We're a family of immigrants, myself included, and they were lucky enough to both get their bachelor's degrees. So I'm not a first generation college student, but I think because they had those opportunities to go to college and get degrees, I grew up just education was the most stressed thing in the household. And I think that never went away. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, should it. Marcella, can you tell us a little bit about the difference of working in an all women's college compared to a NYU in the city, not many places to smell the roses, uh, <laughs> but still a different kind of rose that you're smelling here in New York, right? Still a place that gives you contemplation about the importance of things that we need to do as humans for humans. One of the interesting things about NYU for me was always that it felt to me like a really entrepreneurial space, that there was always a lot of room to try new things, to be creative, to work across different departments and different campuses, different continents. I mean, you know, they're just the way that you could remix things at NYU to come up with different ways of of doing things was so attractive to me and still is. I think it's such a dynamic place. And, and I always thought for me, it was good that I came there as a graduate student and was able to stay, you know, and work even after that, because I wasn't ready to leave. I still felt like there were so many more things I wanted to do, try and, and be a part of. And, and I think that that idea that there, the possibilities are really limitless at NYU is an important one. And that there's graduate students and undergraduate students and a variety of social identities across the different schools and and different programs. I think at Mount Holyoke, what is really interesting to me is that there's a huge emphasis here on the intimacy of the community and of the place and space being really central so that it's not as fluid, right? It's different. A true quintessential New England campus community, you know, it frequently gets voted in like the number one or top 10 most beautiful campuses because it's got that really small school, liberal arts um, kind of mission and feel. And I think the traditions here are so fascinating to me, right? You've got this 180 plus year, you know, history of incredible traditions and so much of that centering on gender diversity and the inclusiveness of of multiple identities and, and this idea that Gender oppression is the reason that Mount Holyoke was was founded in the first place by Mary Lyon in 1837, you know? And so that combination of innovation and commitment to gender equity and and the traditions and the legacy, all of that has been really such a a different environment for me to be a part of. Very different from NYU, and, and I love it, but for different reasons, you know, just two different spaces and time for me in my life, in my career. That's a beautiful summary. With any job, I feel like the landscape is always changing, but especially so with education, I feel. So what do you feel are some of the changing issues in the education industry today? Hmm, such a good question. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, there's there's a lot out there, right? I mean, I think that there's a lot around affordability. I, I think that these questions about how students are making ends meet on breaks and to be able to take full advantage of all of the different co-curricular opportunities and to still be able to be high functioning in their academic commitments. 
stop being overworked or, you know, or, you know, stress culture and, and mental health issues. I mean, that's another big one. They're connected, the finance piece and people's overall well-being. So I think that those are two important ones for me. Uh, we're really committed here to being able to talk about issues of well-being that connect across different areas, not just about health and counseling, but get at issues of financial literacy and, and life skills, things that people need beyond their time in college and forming healthy habits and all of that. So I, I guess for me in education right now, I see that there are there are a lot of challenges that students are coming in with, and there are a lot of challenges that develop during the course of students' time in higher education. And I think it's up to us to be ahead of that, right? So, so to be really looking at what the trends are and thinking about how are we creating programs, services, policies, practices that solve for those problems, not in a one-off individual way, but in more structural ways. That, that would be some of it, but that's definitely one I could talk about all day because <laughs> there's quite a bit there. There is. There absolutely is. We, we have another question for you as it relates to what should students be reading, listening to, to fill their brain with, with things that are important? Are there books that you're, you know, you'd recommend or podcast or other streaming things that you think students should be listening to for today? Well, for one thing, I love Audible. <laughs> like, it's, it, Audible is like one of the greatest things I think that was ever invented. Being able to listen to books, particularly when they're read by the author, to me is like one of the greatest gifts. As someone who loves to read, but doesn't always have a ton of time to sit down, you know, uninterrupted and, you know, really delve in. And so like right now I'm listening to Michelle Obama's book and it, it's, absolutely one of the most brilliant memoirs I've ever read. So I, I love that. I'm also a big fan of Brene Brown. She's a social work researcher who does a lot of work around shame. And, and, and now a lot of what she's shifted to is focused more on organizational development and how our interpersonal makeup, you know, really influences the way that we work and function in teams. And, and so I'm very interested in her work. But I think that in general, for me, I caught between loving nonfiction, loving <laughs> memoirs, loving that constant learner in me is really into that. But I also really value fiction and storytelling. And so I get to be a part of our common read selection every year here at Mount Holyoke. And that's one of the things that we know is that students are really able to build capacity for empathy and understanding when it's through storytelling, you know, and, and through fiction often is how people are able to do that. Not exclusively, of course. So I, I also love that. So one of my goals for this year was to be in a book club. And so I am actually in a book club and we read fiction books and we talk about them. And it's like a once a month commitment. And I don't always make it because I have other commitments, but I do my best to make sure that I always read the book. <laughs> so that I'm reading at least one fiction book that I would have never thought of before. So those are some of some of the places where I, I, you know, I would say to students, find the things that excite you and then find the thing that maybe you're, you're a little apprehensive about or is outside of your wheelhouse and try that too, <laughs> because I think there's inspiration everywhere. I agree. I thought you were going to give us a couple of children's books with their two beautiful daughters that you have <laughs> that you're going to say, hey, here's a couple of great books. Those pictures are just adorable, oh my by goodness. the way. Oh. Adorable. Adorable. Thank you. Children's books are a whole nother topic. I, I feel like, you know, 
in in some other realm of of possibility, I would be curating children's book recommendations as as part of my job. <laughs> I absolutely love children's literature. And in fact, I read this book called The Happiness Project by Gretchen yeah. Rubin. Oh, I'm on her newsletter. <laughs> She's awesome. And she has a whole book club <laughs> that's just children's literature. So it's, it's, you know, they get together and they read books. So some of them are not, you know, like picture books are obviously like more complex children's literature, but it's something she's really passionate about. And I've thought about that when my kids are a little bit older, doing something like that with, with other adults and kids too, who want to be a part of it. <laughs> but we do read quite a bit, quite a bit of, of reading happening in my house right now with an eight-year-old and five-year-old. That's wonderful. Yes. So we just wanted to take a quick moment to kind of do some shout outs. And we were wondering if you still stayed in touch with any other NYU alums. I do stay in touch with other NYU alums, actually, quite a few of them. So of course, my most recent position at NYU when I left in 2014 was in spiritual life. And so an NYU alum and the current senior director there, Yael Shai, is a good friend and colleague, so have to give her a shout out and the whole team there in spiritual life. Yehuda, you know, Ariel, all of the folks that are there. Also, my folks in CMEC, keep in, in close touch with them, and, and Leah, also an NYU alum. And both Leah and Yael were students when I was in my first position. So we go back a long way. And then certainly Monroe, I know he's not in CMEP anymore, but he's still there. He's not an alum, but somebody that I worked really closely with. Mike Funk, who was in my higher ed program and is, is now back teaching in, in Steinhardt in the higher ed program. We were students together, and he's also a faculty fellow in residence. So big shout out to him as well. Outstanding. We're going to jump to speed round. Okay. Ask you a question, quick answer. Favorite tradition at NYU? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. Probably Grad Alley. I thought the whole graduation experience was incredible, and Grad Alley was really amazing and spectacular. It was really one of my favorites. Do they still do that? Yes, they do. Okay, good. <laughs> now on West 3rd Street. Okay, awesome. <laughs> now the names may have changed a little bit, but Best Dining Hall. Before there was the student center that there is now, there was Loeb Student Center, and there was like food court and other different places to eat in there. I love that. And of course, Weinstein. Those were my two favorites. Favorite NYU teacher? I feel like I taught, you know, I mean, I learned so much from so many people in, in so many different ways. I, I don't know that I could pick one, but I will say Suzanne Wolford is my favorite dean in Gallatin. I adore her. I didn't have her as a teacher, but I did get to work very closely with her when I was teaching in Gallatin. She was amazing. Hmm. Any celebrity sightings as an NYU student? So many. <laughs> so many celebrity sightings, which is always one of the like favorite shared experiences, right, of, of living in the village and being a part of the NYU community. I was thinking about this, trying to, to think of what I would pick as my favorites, but I think oftentimes the celebrity sightings were like the really unexpected ones, but some of my favorites were when there were people just in the area walking around, like I know Michael Ely is an actor. He worked on some stuff with the Howard Zinn project, the Voices project, and so he would frequently be around. That was one of my favorites. Definitely when Chelsea Clinton worked at, at NYU, you know, I got to see her quite a bit. That was really awesome. <laughs> Definitely there, there's just, there's quite a few, which is one of the really special things about NYU. And what wanted to recognize, certainly since we focus on residential life in here, you are a the inaugural Alumni Hall of Fame from the IRHC winner, uh, recipient, uh, and also, you were most involved in residential life during the 1999 year. 
And I guess my last favorite memory, what is that memory of residential life when you go back to it that you hold dear during your time here? I really thought that the sense of community was incredible. So that's when, you know, the ultraviolet live and all of that was getting started. And we were doing programs where we went to Chelsea Piers, like hundreds of us. <laughs> I think for me, it the the sense of, of shared community, even though there were, I don't know how many, 12,000 students and residents or something, it still felt like like an intimate community. And that was so special. And it, that's carried with me throughout my, my career in higher ed, that, that that's achievable even in a community as large and complex as NYU. Well, Marcella, thanks so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after NYU has taken you. Well, thank you. Of course. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with NYU RA alums who are living a Dream School alumni version of life. Marcella, what a joy to reconnect with you and have you on the podcast. You are truly one of the violets that shine brightly in the garden of NYU alums. So thank you for your time. <laughs> truly, we really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Special thanks to my engineer, Juliana Fonseca Alesso, and to the current professional staff and alums of NYU, like Mary Jo Russell O'Grady, who developed great RRAs and grad staff members like Marcella in getting skill acquisition along their journey. If you like the show, look for more content on the website. And if you want to know what famous and favorite books of NYU grad and RAs are, go to whatthey'reading.blogspot.com. Until next time, remember, community is in all different shapes and sizes and forms. And remember to give your best view and best love to those who need it most.